Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney. Over the last few weeks, we've been building on generational inheritance. We've looked at Genesis 1 through to Genesis 6, just to see how different things are passed down from fathers to sons, how a curse repeats itself throughout the generations. And in our last podcast, we spoke about curses. I made a statement saying that most of the curses that we experience in our life is not the devil cursing us, not witchcraft prayers that are cursing us. Of course, it can happen. But the majority, I would say 98% of all curses that we experience are as a result of us disobeying God. When he says, do this and we don't do it, then this, then that's going to happen. And that's pretty much what a curse amounts to. And Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are full of the instructions and warnings about disobedience. Today, I want to have a look at sin, iniquity, and transgressions, and I want to start building a foundation for my next podcast, which will be about recognizing what is going on in your particular family and what the root cause could be of our disobedience that brought this thing on us. But let me lay the foundation today. So if we have a look at Deuteronomy 27 verse 9, it says, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord. So sort of on that basis, you're called to obey me. It then says, if you obey, you will be blessed. But if you disobey, you will be cursed. And so there's a little bit of a summary of what goes on in those chapters. We see that Moses inaugurates an amazing ceremony. He goes to Shechem where there are two mountains. On one side is Mount Gerizim and he tells six of the tribes to go to the top of that mountain. The six on Mount Gerizim are to symbolize blessing because Yahweh says, I put before you blessings and curses. Choose blessings that you may live. So what he's doing here is like a prophetic action of choosing the blessing. On the other side is Mount Ebal and he tells six of the tribes to go to the top of that mountain Mount Ebal symbolizes cursing. When he says, I put before you blessings and curses, he's actually giving us a choice. How do we make those choice? We actually partake. We do something. We, there is a action that is done and it's symbolically done when Moses tells those tribes go up the mountain. When you engage in some kind of activity, you are choosing whether you engage the mountain of blessing or the mountain of curses. Moses tells the Israelites that they have a choice to make, which mountain they will climb, which mountain they will possess. Which response do they choose to receive at the hand of God? And that's pretty much the choice that is before us today. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, he says, This day I shall call heavens and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you, and listen to this part, and your children may live. What you choose today, which mountain you choose today, life or death or blessings and curses, not only affects you, but it has a profound effect on your children. Because it says, choose life so that you and your children may live. Here are some of the curses. I know that we covered in them in the last podcast. I'm going to make it a brief summary. It says, cursed is the man who makes any carved or melded image. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or his mother. Cursed is he who removes his neighbor's landmark. 
Cursed is he who makes the blind to wander out of the way. Cursed is he who perverts the justice due of the foreigner or of the fatherless or the widowed. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, he who lies with any manner of beast, he who lies with his sister or his mother-in-law. Cursed is he who smites his neighbor secretly. Cursed is he who takes reward to slay an innocent person. Cursed is he who confirms not all the words of this law to do them. So those are pretty much, and there are many more, but that's it in a nutshell. What the Lord is saying, choose your mountain. If you're going to do these things, you're going to go up Mount Ebal and you're going to receive that curse. The blessings are in Deuteronomy 28, if you obey. And it just briefly says, if you obey, obey all of the Lord's commands and his statutes and his ordinances, you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll, you're um, blessed will the fruit of your body be and the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your cattle, increase in your cattle, the flocks of your sheep. Blessed is your basket and your feeding trough. Blessed will you be when you come in and when you go out. You know, and so that's pretty much what it comes down to. You obey the Lord, you receive his blessings, you do what he asks you not to do, and there's a curse coming to you. So let me have a look at curse. In Hebrew, that word is arar, A-R-A-R, and it means to detest. These are some of the meanings, okay, and it goes down into the roots as well. It means to hate or dislike intensely, to utterly abhor. It means to damn. Um, like condemn as a failure, be bad, unfit, invalid, or illegal, eternal punishment. So this is this is in a nutshell what a curse means just by having a look at that Hebrew word. It means to denounce. What does denounce mean? It means to make a formal accusation as in a court. That's interesting because our accuser accuses us day and night before the Father in the courts of heaven. So, you know, that's where we answer this legal paperwork that is against us. We have done stuff, our ancestors have done stuff, and it actually can carry down from generation to generation. It's not just by chance that you're an alcoholic like your father, like his grandfather, like your great-grandfather. Can you see a pattern emerging in your bloodline? There's a legal right for it to be there. It's because there's a curse. There's that accusation against you or your bloodline in the courts of heaven that condemns you. So I want to show you the principle of a curse at work. And it comes from Proverbs 26 verse 2. It says, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow. So a curse without a cause cannot alight. The Bible example here uses the word swallow. And it's amazing to read about birds that migrate to distant, distant continents at various seasons of the year. Do you know that a bird can fly out of North America, wing its way across the equator into South America and find the exact nest that it had before in another season? It's going to stay there for the winter season and then when seasons change again, it's going to find its way back to the exact nest that it left previously. It flies for thousands of miles, yet it instinctively returns to the same nest. How is this possible? How does it do that? It's certainly not coincidence that they just happen to come upon the same nest that they built after flying all of those thousands of kilometers. There's something inside of them that guides them or draws them to the exact spot. 
This is exactly the same way that a curse works. It doesn't just float around in the atmosphere and then for no apparent reason land somewhere. There's something, a spiritual force, that directs a curse to land on a person, a city, a church, a nation. And there's legal right for it to do that. There's a legal, legitimate reason why you end up in prison just like your grandfather and like his parents before him. Why an abused child becomes an abusive parent. Um, why a man ends up an alcoholic just like those in his bloodlines. Why there's a history of suicides in some bloodlines. As I'm saying, look for the patterns that are in your bloodline because there's a accusation, a curse that is against you that needs to be answered. I speak about this often because it is so dear to my heart. But you could leave the legacy. You could be the one to leave the legacy for your future generations based on what you do today. All you do, and it's so simple, the blood of Yeshua has done it all. But you as a son have to apply it and have to um, get that dominion, take that dominion, practice that dominion that he's given you by the power of that blood of Yeshua. So let's have a look at sin next. The Hebrew word, and forgive me if my pronunciation is not accurate, chata'a, that's C-H-A-T-T-A-A-H. And it means, this is what sin means by looking at the Hebrew word. It means an offense, violating or breaking a social or moral rule, something that offends or displeases. An example of that is stealing. Sin is also habitual sinfulness, which means it's become a particular practice or a habit. It also means a dominant tendency. Why do you do what you do? That sin is there, which, which um, tempts you to get into this habitual sinfulness. Sin, according to 1 John 3 verse 4, is lawlessness. The very first time that sin is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 4 verse 7 where God is speaking to Cain. Now, this right here is a key for us regarding our sin. It says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. And here's the key for us. It continues and says, but you must rule over it. How do you overcome sin? Just like God said to Cain, you must rule over it. Now, what's going to happen if you don't rule over it? If you just let sin, which we've already discussed as lawlessness, habitual sinfulness, dominant tendency, what is going to happen if we don't rule over it? Our answer comes in James 1 verse 15. And I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, i.e. we haven't ruled over it, it brings forth death. So that, and we know that the word also says the wages of sin is death. So part of our function as sons is to rule over that sin that you are faced with, that, that um, tempts you all the time. I want to look at the word iniquity. The Hebrew word for iniquity is avowen, A-V-O-W-N. And it means a perversity, morally, evil. Um, avowed comes from the root word ava, which means to bow down, to make crooked, a tendency to do wrong, to do amiss, perverseness. The Greek word is anomia, and it means, and I like this, 
definition because it sums it up. It means to live in opposition to the law of God, to have contempt for the divine law of God. That's what iniquity is. Now, this is how iniquity works. It's been said that you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. In other words, you can cut open an apple, you can count there are 10 seeds in there, but the potential in each of those 10 seeds to produce orchards of apples because they are capable of multiplying and reproducing cannot be determined. And Matthew 24 verse 12 tells us that not only will iniquity pass from generation to generation, that's right, that is a New Testament verse, Matthew 24 verse 12, but it also says that iniquity will abound. Now the word abound is translated from the Greek word, and forgive me if I get this wrong, it says pluthono, that's the Greek word of abound. And what it means is to increase. So not only does this force pass on from, from generation to generation, but it gets much worse. It increases with severity in each generation. And I often use the example from my grandmother. Okay, so it's me, it's my mother, it's my grandmother. That's just three generations. In three generations, if I look at the moral fiber of, of that those different age groups, and I look at my son, he's the fourth generation. What my son faces today would have been totally taboo in the days of my grandmother. For instance, if you had a child out of wedlock, it was a shame and you would send that child to live with a distant relative so that the dishonor wouldn't be brought on the family line by people knowing about it. Where are we today? Oh my gosh, I don't even want to start to get into that. But can you see how just in four generations, our morality has totally decayed and got much worse. It has definitely multiplied and increased from generation to generation. We also see how this works and the effect of it in 1 Kings 22:52. It says, he, who is talking about Ahaziah, son of Ahab, did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and his mother. So can you see that that has been passed down to the son? Then it continues, and of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. Can you see it goes from just following the ways of your mother and your father. There's a whole nother level that causes a whole nation to sin. So in summary, iniquity is a stubborn character. It's a personality that causes the action of sin and to live in opposition to the law of God. Transgressions really quickly. The Hebrew word is pasha, P-A-S-H-A, and it means revolt. It means to break away or rise against constituted authority, to cast off allegiance to those who are in authority. Transgression also means rebellion. So it's a resistance or a defiance to any authority control or tradition. It means to break away from authority. Now, can you see that there are three different things that sin, iniquity and transgression that mean three totally different things? But what does the Bible say about how these actually affect us? In Jeremiah 32 verse 18, it, you know, it just talks about how good God's love is. He says, you show love to thousands of generations. Okay, so if you look at that in contrast with the punishment, it says, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. 
Lamentations 5, 7 says, Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment, which comes down to that swallow, you know, and, and how that curse knows where to land. Numbers 14, 18, the Lord, is slow, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And there are many different scriptures like this, which I'm not going to get into, but I'll, I'll just give you the reference for them. Exodus 20, verse 3 to 6. Um, Exodus 34, verse 7. Isaiah 14, 21. Um, you know, and even the disciples, you know, because you're going to go, all oh, those are Old Testament references, but even the disciples understood this. And they asked Jesus a question regarding a blind man. It comes from John 9, verse 1 to 3. It says, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in him. What I'm trying to show you there is that even they know when you can see a manifestation of something in somebody's life represented as a curse, could it be that it's either our own doing that has brought it upon us or they recognized, is he like this because of something that his parents did? So just showing you how things are passed down from generation to generation. Now, of course, we have the blood of Yeshua and we are supposed to appropriate that blood. And I am definitely going to get into that in another session. But I just want to ask you, how many people, if from these scriptures where something is passed down to the third and the fourth generation, how many people have actually affected you what goes on in your life? Let's work it out quickly. Obviously, both of us have two parents. So that's two already. Each of our two parents have parents, which means we have four grandparents. So that's six. Let's carry on. They have parents. So now we have eight great grandparents. And they have parents. So we're taking it to the fourth generation, which means we have 16 great, great grandparents. If you had all of those up, that's just to four generations. You have a total of 30 people influencing what you have to deal with today. There are at least 30 people, and it's not just them, because remember, there's four generations before them which have passed down stuff. So how do we actually deal with this? Because it can seem like an insurmountable quest to try and deal with all the stuff. As I mentioned, the blood of Yeshua speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Than the blood of Abel. Um, we have the court system of heaven. What are the courts for? To go and own your stuff. Own those accusations that are against you so that you can blot out the handwritten ordinances that were against you so that you can have freedom in your future generations. When I said leave a legacy for your future generations, this is how you do it. You answer that paperwork that is against you, leaving your future generations to be free. They don't have to face what our ancestors have faced when somebody owns it. I look forward to getting into this in more detail with you at a later stage. But in the meantime, have an awesome day. Shalom.